welcome back to Tuesday at Dubs's. This week's episode is sponsored by Excel Moto. It's a one-stop shop for all things biking related, whether you're looking for motorcycle clothing or tools or parts for your bike. I've got for June um, a new tool set that I'm meant to be trying out. The problem is it's completely useless right now because my Bonneville has been with the mechanic for eight days awaiting parts on back order. Despite the fact it's a British brand and I'm in England, uh, oh, there's still no end in sight to get this one specific part for the Bonneville. I really honestly didn't think there would be any problems getting parts for such a popular bike, especially in England. But there are. But enough about that sob story. Let's get down to it. I wanted to share a bit of road trip inspiration. I got so many interesting messages and emails from people sharing their road trips from around the world. I wanted to share a few of them, so let's begin. First up, Aria from the US in April. Oh, and as I mentioned these road trips, these are exact pictures of the road trip. Freddie, in April of this year, we took a trip to Death Valley on my Royal Enfield GT650 and also a Yamaha R3. And we went with some friends following us on a truck as we've never ventured this far on a motorcycle. On the first day we rode from the San Francisco Bay Area to Lone Pine with six hours of riding and the most terrible winds I've ever experienced. At this point, we'd ridden past the Sierra Nevada in some of the best and most scenic roads I've ever seen. Once we got to the eastern Sierra Nevada on Highway 395, it was nighttime and the mountain wind would push our bikes without a moment's notice. It was the most frightening experience. Once we'd made it to the town of Lone Pine, the next day's forecast was predicting snow and we had no choice but to rush our trip south into Death Valley from the snow. The contrast in the US Snow predicted and then rushing into Death Valley. It's, it's incredible. Uh, I continue. Going from a relatively high elevation of Lone Pine into Death Valley, the lowest elevation in the US, there we encountered a sandstorm and the mountain winds persisted. In Death Valley, there was no place to stay without reservation, leaving us to the sandstorm and 170 miles from Barstow, the nearest place to stay. Eventually, we found ourselves in the middle of nowhere and night came upon us. Our hands were too cold to continue and our sense of adventure turned into despair. So with nothing more than a rope and motivation, we mounted both bikes to the truck and headed to Barstow where we could stay the night. Looks fantastic, Aria, fantastic. Next one from Freddie. Hey, Freddie. I've just finished a thousand mile trip with my girlfriend through California, going through LA and the desert into Vegas, and then back on a mixture of both back roads and highways. The bike of choice, after listening to your podcasts and hearing you speak so highly of them, uh, and thinking I have to go full American, was a Harley Davidson Street Glide Touring Edition. So these are Freddie's picks. And confusingly, and confusingly, this is my pick from, how long ago would this be? God, this would be 10 years ago. This is my actual pick from when I was in Vegas on a Harley Street Glide. So it's quite confusing. This is me, Freddie, on my Street Glide in Vegas. And this is Freddie, new pick, his Street Glide in Vegas with his partner. I continue. 
Having only been riding for two years on my Triumph Street Scrambler and living in London, I was a bit apprehensive about riding around on a 300 kilo plus bike. However, after the first 10 minutes of riding, all the nerves completely go as the bike feels surprisingly light and nimble. And when cruising at 90 miles an hour on the freeway, you honestly feel like you're on train tracks. It's so planted. I've never been a fan of Harleys and I feel they're very Marmite brand as you often hear people talk negatively about the bikes and also the people that ride them. But after this trip, I 100% get the appeal of them. And for me especially, you do feel a lot more part of a weird sort of club when passing other Harley riders than you do passing, for example, Triumph riders. Would I ever buy one in England? No chance. They're massive and filtering is just too much of a mission. However, cruising around California on these massive roads, I can really see why they are so popular in the sun with the music blaring from the speakers. They really are incredible. Freddie, Freddie, I love that. You know, looking at your pics, it took me back to when I was in Vegas uh, with a Harley Street Glide and I will never forget that. Just the theatre that no one does like the Americans. Yes, you've got Vegas, which in itself is unbelievable, but enjoying that on a gigantic Harley, oh, no one does it better than the Americans for that type of stuff. And ever since that, 10 years ago, I've had two biking experiences, Freddie, that made me desperately want Harleys. That in Vegas, and then Tenerife on a Harley Davidson Softail Deluxe. The feeling of theatre and passion, Oh, those Harleys are so special. I move on to Sweden. Hi, Freddie. I'm William from Sweden. My first bike was a 2015 Honda CB650F. That's quite similar to my, my older model of those. Yeah, I know these exactly. Uh, Honda CB650F, which I enjoyed, but I felt that it wasn't for me. My plan was to purchase a Bonneville with EFI. That's the fuel injection. And I was scouring Facebook Marketplace to get a good deal. But when this bike came up for sale, I could not stop myself from buying it. It's a 1996 Honda XRV 750 Africa Twin in a professionally done Dakar Rally paint job. William, this is, this is just stunning. I, I've spent about 10 minutes just admiring these pictures, honestly, hand on heart. It is a beautifully done bike. For one, this is my favorite version of the Honda Africa Twin. This is when I think it looks the best. So looks-wise, it's my favorite. But with that paint job on it, it's, it's superb. It's exactly how it should look in my eyes. I continue uh, with the professionally done Dakar paint job. Everywhere I go, people ask me about the bike and take pictures of it. There's something special about it. In a previous episode, you mentioned that adventure bikes can lack character, but I think mine is the exception. The bike has already brought me many adventures and I look forward to many more. Kind regards, William, Sweden. I can just imagine this, William, ripping around the Swedish countryside. That, that would be a fine sight. And the final one, let me do a final one here from Zane. This is a short one. Hi, Freddie. I'm currently in the French Riviera and I made it on my Royal Enfield Classic 350. Oh, Zane, that's just brilliant. There's a map here and there's pics here, Zane with his friend. And making it all the way from England on your Classic 350. See, it can be done. 
there's nothing saying you cannot tour the world, tour Europe on that 350cc, 21 horsepower engine. It's brilliant. I move on. Just a little bit I want to touch on here because a lot of people got in touch. This has been a, an area of interest for a lot of people and I wanted to chime in with a point here. Apologies if I sound bunged up every now and again. I've got some hay fever that's coming and going almost at will every two or three minutes. So I'll go from sounding acceptable to quite ridiculous. This is from David. Freddie, here in the USA, most Harley Davidson dealers refuse to service older bikes. Even the Evo Motors are relegated to independent shops. Aftermarket parts are available, but Harley Davidson refused to use these parts. It's a big turnoff and many expensive bikes are becoming harder to sell. No loyalty, that's the bottom line, David. Yeah, David, it's really interesting you say that because a lot of the time, I've been thinking this as well, if you take your bike to a dealer, it's just not in the dealer's interest from a, a business point of view, a financial point of view, to fit either an aftermarket part or to, to buy a second-hand part off eBay, for example, that may be perfectly good, but it's just seen as too big a risk for these mechanics. And it's, it's an experience that I've had a few times because I've had so many people saying, Fred, you could just buy a cylinder head off eBay second-hand, just unscrew it, do it yourself. But it's really hard to make that decision when you've only got one call of where to drop your bike off to from the delivery company or from the breakdown company. Do you drop your bike off, in my case when it's broken down, to a mechanic to let them fix it where you 100% know it'll be fixed? Or do I drop it off at my house and hope I can find the exact eBay part needed and do the work myself? It's, it's really hard to know in these situations the best thing to do, but I agree with you, David. Doing any kind of aftermarket parts or getting secondhand used parts, a lot of the time you will have to try and do it yourself. And I've got one more point here. This is going back and linking in with Harleys and, and other bikes. For example, if the ECUs go wrong. Mark made a point. Freddie, we get our car and van ECU repaired as usually, it's just usually a simple circuit repair. And this is a point that I will often overlook and I think maybe other people do as well. Let's say you do have a part that's broken on your vehicle, whether it's a car or bike. It could be the ECU that's broken or it could be the ABS module that's broken. Let's say you take it to a mechanic and this leads on from David in the US. Take it to a mechanic, the standard thing the mechanic will do because that's the thing that makes most sense for making the best use of their time, well, they will, of course, find the ABS sensors faulty or the ECU is faulty, and they will, they will request a replacement. They will try and buy you a replacement, and that could often be extremely expensive. But there are so many companies who specialize in fixing ECUs, ABS units, all of these little electrical elements of vehicles, and they specifically focus on doing this. I'm just on here now, for example. I found one, actronics.co.uk. And you can type in your vehicle make and your vehicle model, and it will come up with the ECU. And it just says, start your order. You click start your order, you go through it, and you send off your ECU or your ABS module. And 
there are so many companies focusing on this. So we don't always need to worry if, for example, there isn't a part available. A lot of the time, just Google it and there'll be companies that will very, very happily for an extremely reasonable cost fix those parts of your bike. Mark, thank you. That's, that's extremely useful consumer advice. I move on to another Mark. Freddie, plenty of my friends ride motorbikes and go on weekend blasts and are constantly telling me to get my license and join in on the fun. I'm looking at completing my CBT this summer and I was wondering if you'd be able to pick your top 125cc bikes which can get some experience on but also look the nuts. I love the retro bike look, so have been watching plenty of reviews for bikes like the Yamaha XSR125, but that is on the pricier end. I appreciate that I may come off at some point as I gain experience. So any advice on a decent price point, but still fun and with good looks would be appreciated. Mark, I, I spent a little while on this and I had a look at the Yamaha XSR125. This is a nice bike, but I think, I think it's over 3,000 pounds even for a used one. So it's probably not the best bike that will suit your needs as you're looking for something a bit cheaper. And to be honest, I would too. Then I got onto the Mutz, the Mutt Mastiff 125, and I went onto Facebook Marketplace. And that's a lovely bike, and you can pick one up for 2,200 pounds. It looks superb. I've ridden a Mastiff. Lovely, lovely looking bike. But I wanted to see if I could find you anything cheaper. So I went to have a look at the Herald Scrambler 125. Now this bike is £2,895 new, 125cc and it's 124 kilos. So this ticks all of the boxes from a new point of view. I mean the fact you can get a new one here for cheaper than a used Yamaha XSR125 is a hugely good result but but I found you something and hand on heart this mark is the bike I would buy if I were in your situation a 2020 Herald Scrambler 125 1595 pounds the price has recently been reduced it's on the south coast of England it's done five and a half thousand miles and for one, have a look at the pictures. It looks superb, perfect. From a looks point of view, which for me would be the most important thing when looking to get my first bike if I'm keen on modern classics and retro styled bikes. This ticks every box. But have a listen from the seller. Rides like new, been looked after and looking to sell due to passing my driving test. Perfect for a first geared bike or for a fun runabout. Selling the bike gear as well, message me for information. So genuine reason for sale looks as legit as it comes. I honestly think, Mark, you need to get this exact one. It's exactly what I would get. It's perfect. I move on to Rob in London. Freddie, London Insurance. I currently ride a Triumph Tiger 800 on a 2014 plate. I live in Milton Keynes, but I'm moving to London in August and I've been running some insurance quotes, which are a little crazy. 
Sit down everyone for this. I'm currently paying £800 for third party fire and theft. However, in London, to park in a secure residential parking or, uh, to, sorry, to park in a secure resident parking or locked compound is going to cost £3,200 a year for the same bike. I'm not sure if anyone can justify this cost for a bike, which is only worth around £5,000. Another option is to perhaps sell the Tiger and buy a Bonneville, which would be great around town. An older 2009 model, for example. The quotes are coming back for a bike like this at around £1,900, which is still crazy for the price of the bike, but a little more realistic. I'm lost at what to do, as even £2,000 for insurance on perhaps a £4,000 Bonneville just doesn't seem right. Any advice and thoughts are welcome. Rob, I enjoy this. Well, I enjoy this for a few reasons. Number one, let me just have a little rant. It makes me so angry seeing these quotes from insurers because they're giving these quotes for a reason, and that's because London, many parts of, it is completely lawless in many, many parts of London. It's so lawless, crime is rampant, theft of motorbikes, just off the scale. It's, I remember living in South East London, watching constantly motorbikes being stolen and seemingly not much being able to be done about it. Whether the police's hands are tied because they're chronically understaffed, whatever reason it is, but Nothing would ever get sorted out, ever. So many of my neighbours, their bikes would be stolen and the police just didn't have the time. I can't get into politics, but I don't know, but the bikes would never get recovered. Never, ever get recovered. It was just relentless. It was like a joke. Every week, bikes would be stolen. It makes me so angry that something's not changing and improving in London. I remember I picked up a Leica camera with Monica. And this will be the end of my rant, I promise. Last year, summer, London, we went to the Leica store. This is an expensive camera, Monica's dream. We got out of the Leica store and we, we had a Leica camera bag that we were carrying the camera in. And the first thought both of us had as we were on Oxford Street, okay, ditch the bag, put it into a generic Sainsbury's carrier bag because you cannot show any kind of wealth in certain parts of London because you're begging then to be robbed. It's that ridiculous that we had to get rid of a Leica bag that we were walking with and put it into a normal bag. And that's not overreacting at all. I like to think I'm usually fairly chilled out, but in London, you, you cannot be complacent because there's way too much crime going on there. There's the rent over, Rob. Now I'll get to this bit. I biked in London and worked in London for 10 years. 10 years, it was 10 years. So I've got a bit of experience here and I've also done some research that I really hope may help you a bit. When I was biking London, I had to make a decision because premiums can be so hugely expensive. You have to do some maths and work out what you think is best. Example, if I get a quote for a motorbike and I can see that my 4,000 pound motorbike is getting a quote of 2,000 pounds a year, then I know that in two years time, my insurance the price I've paid for the premium will be the same as the bike. And that just cannot make sense. 
So if I'm on fully comprehensive insurance, the best kind, and that's £2,000 a year, I then know I need to look at much, much cheaper insurance. So I need to look at simple, basic third-party insurance, as an example. And if that insurance means that I'm not even covered for theft, because it's just third-party, not third-party fire and theft, then I have to accept that because if I can get away with paying just £200 for the lowest level premium compared to £2,000 for the most expensive, I'm then taking a risk that my Bonneville or my motorbike is going to be stolen if I'm paying the £200 premium and the insurer won't give me a penny back for it. I just have to wave goodbye to everything except my bike is gone. However, I'm saving £1,800 a year meaning that in just two years time, so long as I'm safe and I double lock my motorbike and I do take a bit of a chance, but I give it two good locks, I would fancy my chances of my bike not being stolen and saving the entire cost of my motorbike in just two years worth of insurance premiums. And this is what I did. I, I got the most basic insurance cover you can possibly get. I didn't care about the quality of the insurer. I only had it insured for third party. The legal minimum level, because I realized I could buy a bike outright in two to three years on the insurance renewal premiums that I'd be saving on. And I did a couple of quotes here to back myself up, Rob. So have a listen to this. If I wanted to buy a new Indian chief bobber, that's around an... I can't remember, I think an £18,000 bike. And I wanted to insure it in London. In, in fact, let me give you this. I wanted to insure it in Ipswich, it's £400 a year. Okay, that's 400 a year. If I'm then moving back to my old place in South East London, that £400 a year, comprehensive insurance, goes to £2,845, and that is just too much. So what do I do? I then see how much it would cost for just basic third-party insurance in London, and that £2,845 drops to £530, and that's for a premium motorbike. I then have a look at the cheapest bike you could ever really insure, my Bonneville, and I insure it simply third-party in my old property in southeast London, and that, for the most basic insurance, £125. So, Rob, I would say to you, you're, you're right with the first bit, get a bike that you know is cheap to insure, and then put it third party where you're paying minimum insurance premiums. You have to accept, you've got to wave goodbye to the bike if it's stolen, but just double lock it. I was fine for 10 years double locking my bike and there was attempted theft on my bike where people tried to steal it minimum four times, but they never managed to take it because I always double locked it. There were people, people with angle grinders, broad daylight trying to steal my Triumph Speed Triple trying to angle grind my chain off, but I bought a really heavy duty chain. They never managed it, but that's how lawless it is. Broad daylight, angle grinders. I move on, bike of the week from Flexi Wing. Freddie, I loved your remarks on the Suzuki GSX 1400, but you forgot to mention the Honda CB 1300. These are along the same lines, but more reliable. And also the S model has a top fairing with some ABS. These are top bikes. Okay, let's have a look at this. Thank you for the shout out with this. This is a perfect way to end. 
I, I'll go where I always go, first of all. Let's see what MCN rates this, or let's see how it's rated. MCN rated as three out of five stars for this bike. Came out in 2005, carried on all the way to 2013. But the owner's reliability, or the owner's rating, is 4.7 out of five. And I would expect nothing less from a big Honda. Owner's reliability rating, 4.9 out of five. So these, again, just classic Japanese bikes, isn't it? They don't break down. 113 horsepower, 236 kilos with a 1.3 liter engine. And they look brilliant. And it marks this year the 10th anniversary of the end of production. I think you could put this straight back into a dealership and it would still sell. There's nothing needed to change here on the looks of these bikes. They look fantastic. Oh, they look so brilliant, so elegant. Even with the fairing, I like it. But what can you get a used one for? Facebook Marketplace, I found one. 2008 model, CB1300, over in Wales. 3,895 pounds, listed two days ago. 40,000 miles on the clock. And I'm reading here from the seller, Honda CB1300, absolutely fantastic. Beautiful bike, brand new MOT. New tires, front and back. New chain and sprockets. Has been serviced, ready to go, faultless ride. Reluctant sale due to ill health. Well, have you ever heard of an advert that's more honest and true. These look so good, really so good. I think this would be, this could be in a shortlist for me. I'd probably go for the unfaired one, but even with fairing, it looks great. It's also fuel injected as well. So you've got all of the modernity that you would really need. I think it's the sweet spot here for biking. Genuine modern day reliability, colossal engine that would have cost a big chunk of money when new, but now three and a half to four thousand pounds for one of these. That's a superb buy. I'll end it there. Thank you everyone. Thanks to XL Moto for sponsoring this week's video. And again, as always, thank you all so much for your input. It's hugely appreciated. Have a fantastic week all, and I'll speak to you in the next one.